Before we move into the Word, we are going to have some testimonies from some people. Yes? Who's given the testimony this morning? Where's Molly? Come out, Molly. Come along, Molly. Molly's given the testimony this morning. Give her a cheer. So, do we have any from New Day? Are you going to come, Molly? Ollie from New Day. Give it Ollie. You, you couldn't make it up, could you? Ollie and Molly. I mean, that new double act that we know so well. Now, I'm going, I'm going to let Ollie begin and give Molly the last word. Now, all you who are married will understand exactly what I mean. But, Ollie, you were at New Day. Just tell us what God did. Um, so, for those who don't know what New Day is, it's a big festival Christian thing um, for about seven and a half wait no seven and a half thousand people something like that and um, uh, so uh, it goes on for a week uh, there's live music there's amazing preachers um, and they have a prayer meeting on the Thursday night and on the Thursday night my knees uh, actually got healed from um, we I don't know what it was because I, I reset my parents wouldn't let me go to the physio because they're oh. tight, um, and so I, uh, I, uh, I researched it, it said something about something like osteoarthritis, which is very strange for a kid who's 16, but they God heal my knees, and uh, I can now go to nationals, so, yeah. Can I just say it was really weird, because like, we were all sat outside the meeting, and he just like runs out. And just runs around the campsite. I'm like, where's he going? Like, you just see him sprint across the campsite. Turns out he got healed, which is cool. Um, <laughs> but it's a really nice place for people who aren't even Christian. Just young Christian people um, to come to know God. Even just to, to meet people in a safe space. It's not even all about Jesus, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> mostly about Jesus. Um, but there's quite a lot of young people there that don't know Jesus yet. Um, and one night, uh, there was a big preach, um, and the guy who was doing it, his name was Peter, um, and he called everyone up who wanted to give their life to Jesus. And there was a massive, massive crowd at the front of people going to give their life to Jesus. Yeah, they had to call up like a backup ministry team um, because there was that many people. And the line was going outside for about 10 minutes. Like there were so many people. And it's just amazing watching new people come to meet Jesus. Especially people your own age. It's even better. Excellent. Well, we've got her a bit all sorted. Just a moment, please. Wait, wait, wait. Rosie, come here, please. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah Greg. Greg. Greg, Greg, come on Come on, Greg. Yeah, you don't have a choice, come on Yeah, this is Bosnia Yeah, this is Bosnia um, Do you want to say something about Bosnia? Yeah, you can go. You can Greg, go. you can go first, Greg Bosnia Bosnia uh, Yeah, a couple of weeks before New Day Some of us went to Bosnia So I got the privilege of uh, joining these t- these and a couple of other young people <laughs> and uh, meeting some Bosnians, um, finding out about life there. That's quite cool. And just seeing them actually engaging with the other young people, um, which they did a lot better than me because, yeah. 
so we were there for 10 days. Uh, for five of the days, we were... Yeah, we want Mike. Come on, Mike. Mike was there too. We were on a camp called uh, Emic Baraka. Um, there was about 120 young people um, around our age, and we just spent time worshiping Jesus, giving them skills to, um, to help them get a life. Well, that sounds really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Make a living in, uh, in Bosnia. There we go. Pass on the mic. Ollie's had to play himself a bit there because Ollie, um, so it was, it was a proper youth camp, uh, and so Ollie was on the speaking team uh, and, and, and gave a great message about uh, about kind of who, who who he is, how he's become who he is, and, and what God has done in his life to uh, to help him to accept himself the way that he is. Uh, and all the guys were absolutely fantastic. I've never I've never led an easier group of youth anywhere. Uh, Scott said it, it was great, um, and and they all formed fantastic relationships with the, the young guys out there, um, and and hopefully you all had a brilliant time as well. So, and I just say, it was such an exciting time for, for me and for, and for Pip because we've been working uh, out in Beha now for 15 plus years and so to see a team from this church go out there and be a part of it, see uh, them, see these guys get quite inspired uh, and, and be a blessing to the, to the guys out in Bosnia was absolutely fantastic. So, it's a beautiful place, yes, I've known that for a long time. <laughs> is, is anyone else supposed to be talking? I, I've walked in on this late. Um, so basically there was a mix of loads of different cultures. There was um, the Bosnians there from all parts of Bosnia. Um, there was Czechs and there was us. So it was great to see the cultures coming together. And um, living in Bosnia, there's not a lot of work and hope. But through this, they really saw that God was their hope. And although they have their situation there that they don't need to be scared and worry about tomorrow because today will bring its own troubles. Um, uh, yeah, it was really fun. Thanks. Um, on a side note, I actually got baptised in Bosnia. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I think there's a video somewhere. Um, but it was... <laughs> I didn't know what order to go right. in. Well, everyone else can sit down apart from Nolly. Yeah. <laughs> so, just explain where this took place, and how many people were there, how many people got baptised, and how cold the water was. <laughs> in that order. Contrary to popular belief, it wasn't actually that cold. It's not the Lake District. Um, it was absolutely beautiful, surrounded by mountains in a really clean lake. Um, and it was just lovely to see people who had never really seen a baptism before. Like, I got baptized in front of loads of the friends I, like, had newly made who might not have known Jesus. I don't know. Um, and people who did know Jesus and random campers, which were on the site too. So they got to see me get dunked in water, um, which was actually really fun to see their faces because <laughs> they just didn't, didn't know what to expect. They just saw a crowd of people at night baptizing someone um but if you've ever been baptized you know the joy that comes afterwards and it's an unexplainable feeling of well what next what's coming next because you've it's the ultimate sacrifice it's a public display of your love for god and it's 
an outstanding feeling because it's scary. It's terrifying in front of that many people. But it's so worth it because it's not only a symbol of love, it's an act. It's an actual physical act of your love for Jesus. And that is what was so beautiful about it. So if you think about getting baptised, go for it. What are you waiting for? <laughs> right, you can sit down now. We want to see the video now, don't we? If everything works. Molly, we've heard your testimony of faith, that how you believe that you know God in your heart and not just your head. And on that testimony, we take great pleasure in baptizing you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I just wanted to, to honour Molly for uh, making the decision to get baptised out there because it was an incredible testimony. It was an incredible witness to all the guys out there. Most of the people on the, on the camp, well, probably half the young people weren't 
um, weren't Christians, weren't necessarily certainly not of church background, so they won't have seen some of that like that before. They're not familiar with it, and it was an it was an incredible highlight of the week. So it was a fantastic thing. But I also want to say a big thank you to her family if they're here, because I know as a parent to have missed that, to have let your daughter be be very comfortable with that. That's absolutely amazing. Uh, so so thank you very much for being willing to do that. Thank you. Excellent to be able to, uh, to share in that experience with them, particularly with, with Molly. And I do believe to, you know, your parents, God would say tough. <laughs> no, I echo what Mike has said because uh, it is a big sacrifice, but what a wonderful opportunity for Molly to testify in front of those young people. And to consider that, the number of people here this morning represents about a third of the entire Christian community out in that nation. There aren't many Christians. So for Molly to be able to stand along with others and testify in that way, very, very important. We've had a number of testimonies, and prophecies, sorry, this morning, about taking a new step, looking at the promises of God, and what is your mountain, and all of those things can be rolled into a challenge for us as we approach the future and what God has got for us as a community. And if you're a visitor here this morning, you need to take the principles from this morning and take them and apply them to your own context. Because wherever we are, whoever we are, as long as we are walking with Jesus, he has got more to reveal to us than we have so far received. He has got much more he wants to do in and through us than we have so far experienced. And whether we're here or elsewhere, there is an incredible adventure still to be experienced through the power of the Spirit, which brings glory to Jesus. When I was considering this morning, I was, I was very much stirred about considering the, the, the work of the Spirit among us. Last week we had a very powerful sermon from Richard where he was looking at the Hebrews, the Israelites, as they left the land of Egypt and how, how they grumbled and the cucumbers they longed for. It's incredible what the people of God will long for, but they, they longed for the cucumbers. And I once shared that in, a, in another church and someone came up afterwards and they'd never ever read that part of Scripture. They were amazed that cucumbers appear in the Bible. But they do. They do. But it was very much a call for us not to settle, but to press on in the things of God. So we can look back at what God has done for us, individually and as a community, but we cannot live in that past. We have got to press on into what God has got for us in these coming days. Hebrews chapter 2. The writer to the Hebrews, and this is sometime after the death, resurrection and uh, of Jesus. It's sometime after the day of Pentecost. These are people who probably had never met Jesus or the disciples perhaps firsthand. But the writer says this in chapter 2. This salvation, this is verse, the end of verse 2. This salvation which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. In other words, they've not heard firsthand. It's a process. It's been handed down to them. And we live in that place of the gospel has been handed down to us by others. 
It says, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So when we look at the story of this community of faith, we see that it is a spirit-filled community. God has done something among them. God had worked among them powerfully by the Spirit. And he could speak of the fact that God was working among them to do various miracles, gifts, of the, and the Holy Spirit being distributed according to his will. And then I thought, well, where are we 2,000 years on? Where are we in our experience and I was talking to someone this week, and they used the term inherited faith. So, inherited faith. Now, I'd never particularly heard that term being used before. But they were speaking of those who, in our context, have grown up within a Christian family, and perhaps cannot point to a time and date when they became a Christian, But Jesus is real to them, and it's almost as if they've grown up, and they have inherited the faith from their parents, but it is as real to them as it is to anyone who can point to a time, place, and date. So many of us here, we can point to a time, we can point to a place, and say, on that occasion, I became a Christian. But within our number, we have many who cannot come to that strict definition of when they became, but we know they are because of the walk and the life they enjoy with Jesus. Jesus is real to that person. So we celebrate the life we have in Christ and rejoice in that, because that is a work of the miraculous power of Jesus in the world today. But then, on the back of what Molly was sharing... I thought we could have inherited faith, but you cannot have an inherited baptism. You can't. Because baptism is a choice we make in obedience to the word of God. It is the first, scripturally, it is the first act of obedience, not the last. But we cannot be baptized by proxy. We cannot say, well, our parents were baptized, therefore I am. That is not where we stand. What we claim is that each and every follower of Jesus needs to make that decision for themselves in order to be baptized in water according to the word and command of Scripture. We do that as individuals. And so every person here who was baptized as a believer should give should be able to give some idea of when, but the memory dims. But you might then be able to give some idea of where, and have a story to tell of what actually happened on that day. So it's many, many years. I can point to a time when I became a Christian. I can also point to a time a few years later when I was baptized in water, because the church I was part of did not agree with being baptized in water. But for both of those, and particularly being baptized in water, I can point to the day in the December of whatever year it was, which was one of the coldest days on record that, uh, at that point, 
where you head to a building to be baptized. You're wanting to be baptized in water because we, we had to borrow a building because we didn't have a baptistry in the one we had to find that on this cold day in December, an entire wall of the building has been knocked out because they're in the middle of a building program. There are literally just some heavy curtains separating you from the outside and you're going to go into this big tank of water. And it wasn't the warmest. <laughs> so that has sort of burned into my memory. But we can remember when we were baptized because it is a choice that we have made. And I would echo Molly's challenge this morning that if you have not been baptized in water, read the scriptures, hear the word of God and give yourself an obedience to baptism. Because when we look at the life of the early church, that was not an optional extra, but was very much part and parcel of the discipleship process that the early church looked to all to go through. And that's why we need to celebrate when we have baptisms. We had baptisms here just a few weeks ago and we we weren't uh, able to be at it. We were on holiday and you've got to get your priorities right. So... But it it, it is a shame when we miss these things because they are a a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Molly cannot be baptized again. So if Molly comes and says, look, my parents missed out. I would like to be baptized next Sunday morning just so they can see it. It can't happen because you can only be baptized once into Jesus. It is a a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And we as the people of God need to celebrate every time we see a person being baptized. Because we're joining with them in this historic moment and celebrating together a miracle of Jesus. So baptism in water is a choice we make in obedience to the commands of Scripture. And then I started to consider where we stand on the whole issue of baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because if we were to go back into the history of this church, what you see is that right there at the very beginning, one of the foundational building blocks of this church was the, the fact that we wanted to bring people into deep experience of the Holy Spirit that was called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And there were so many parallels between being baptized in water and being baptized in the Spirit that you could preach almost in parallel lines and bring people to that point of absolute uh, conviction of where they stood regarding each one. So we could say to people, have you been baptized as a believer in water? And the answer has got to be yes and no. It, It cannot be a maybe. You weren't half dunked. You weren't half dunked. You either baptize in water or you're not baptized in water. And if we were to go back into the history of this church, we could ask that question of someone. Say, have you been baptized in water? Yes, no. Have you been baptized in the Spirit? And the answer would be a clear yes or no. Except on one occasion. I remember we were praying for someone. They said, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they said, I don't know. Well, for me, that is a big open door. Because if someone says, I don't know, what they're really saying is, no. And we prayed for that person. And they came through into an incredibly powerful experience of the Spirit of God. They were speaking in tongues. In fact, I can picture it now. We were in a room and we had to actually vacate that room and ask the person to sort of stop speaking for a little while until we get them out of the room into the, on the way home. 
Such was the powerful experience of the Spirit. But you say, well, baptism in water then is a choice I make. What is the choice of baptism in the Spirit? Well, first of all, I believe there are two things. First of all, there's the choice of the Father. It's His promise we rely on. He has chosen to make a promise to us. We read the prophet Joel. Joel chapter 2. The Lord says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And then on the day of Pentecost, that verse is quoted in order to explain what is happening on the day of Pentecost. So the the apostles, when they looked at what was going on on the day of Pentecost, which is familiar to all of us, they saw this promise of God being fulfilled before their very eyes and said, that which was promised then is what we are seeing now and for the church to live in the knowledge of that promise all through the coming years. Jesus made a promise. Jesus said, do not leave Jerusalem, wait for, my, uh, wait for the gift of my Father. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will by, be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit falls upon the believers on the day of Pentecost, but he doesn't just fall once. As we read through scriptures, we see they're living this out again and again and again. It's an ongoing walk, but it begins somewhere with that initial encounter of the Spirit of God, which transforms us from the inside out. It's that experience of the Spirit of God, which causes me to think differently, to behave differently, to have a different vision, because God has done something deep within me by the power of the Spirit. I have been baptized in the Spirit. I have been empowered by the Spirit. And I can now live the life that God has given me in an entirely different realm of expectation and faith. Because God, by the power of the Spirit, has done something as He did to those early believers 2,000 years ago. It seems that as we've gone on, the term baptism in the Spirit has sort of fallen out of use somewhere along the line. And yet, it says, John said of Jesus, you know, I'm going to baptize you in water, he's going to baptize you in the Spirit. How can we ignore the terminology? And the problem is also that being baptized in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, receiving the Spirit, can so easily be turned into a theological position that we adopt when in reality it's meant to be an experience that we have. What is the point of believing if it doesn't make any difference? So Jesus, on the day of Pentecost, and he's pointing to that day, he's not saying, I want you to sit down and have a discussion about the work of the Spirit. Why, let's let's have a debate about the work of the Spirit. Let's have a debate. Now, hands up, those who think we ought to speak in tongues. Oh, well, glory! <laughs> you know, he didn't tell them to enter into this debating chamber. He didn't tell them, well, have a vote on, and let's see what we settle at. He said, wait, the promise of the Father will be fulfilled. And on that day of Pentecost, the believers 
were transformed by that inner working of the Holy Spirit, where they saw that promise of Jesus, the promise of the Father way back in Joel, being fulfilled before their very eyes, and they spoke in tongues, they prophesied, they saw miracles happen, and that is the church of the New Testament. So we cannot settle for anything less than that expression of Christianity. Because if we settle on anything less, we're going to be a people who's few years down say, oh, well, if only. One of the biggest dangers that we face as a community is that we are known as charismatic, but we do not live in the power of the Spirit. And this is a challenge for every one of us. It really is. It is a challenge for every one of us. There's no one setting themselves apart and saying, uh, you know, I'm pointing the finger at you. This is a challenge for all of us that we need to continue to press into the things of God in order that we see that expression of church as we read in Scripture, which has got to be there for, for something more than a history lesson. You know, if you're reading it as a history lesson, well, fine. But if you're reading that as a revealed word of God, which is challenged to us today, then we've got to take that challenge on board and say, how am I going to respond to that challenge? Can I answer the question, have I been baptized in the Spirit? Can I truly answer that question, say yes or no? And if you're a don't know, we'll take that as a no. Because this is the very foundation upon which this church was built and a foundation upon which we need to press on into the future so that we do not miss out nice songs John mentioned nice songs <laughs> one of the dangers we have is that we confuse nice songs with the things of the spirit It's got nothing to do with musicians or anything. But we can confuse the two. And if I said, God save us from nice songs, please understand what I'm saying there. <laughs> you know, the reality is, if you have a choice, do you want to sing a nice song or a horrible song? Let's go for nice songs. It's a choice. I believe that we make in response to the choice of the Father in the promise that He has made to us. I have never come across anyone who has been baptized in the Spirit and had a powerful experience who was reluctant or hostile to the promises of God. I believe what God does, He says, well, the promise is there. You can make the choice of living in the fullness of that promise. You can talk it out, you can debate it away, but the, the reality, at the end of the day, I don't believe God is particularly phased. All he says is, if I will, if you as a generation of my people will not enter into the promises of God, if you will not enter into that land that I have set before you, the answer is simple. I will choose another generation. That's what Richard was swearing. A whole generation got stuck in the wilderness. And God said, I'm going to choose a new generation. So I believe the choice is ours. Because the generation thing is not to do with age. It's, it's to do with our attitude towards the things of God. Do I want to be in that new generation ever pressing into the things of God? Or am I simply happy with I God? I'll sing my nice songs. And as I sing my nice songs, I can go around the mountain for year after year after year. And I believe many Christians 
settle for going around the mountain. Let's just have a look at Acts chapter 19. You knew I was going to get around to Acts eventually. But Acts chapter 19, where Paul is speaking to the Ephesians. Now, I've only chosen for the want of time one example. But I would challenge you to read the new, uh, book of Acts. Read the book of Acts and see how often the Spirit of God comes and baptizes them, fills them, overwhelms them, changes them from the inside out. And on every occasion, there is evidence of something that's happened. On every occasion. It's not a question of, well, I've got to be persuaded that something's happened. It's not a question of, now, what I want you to do is, en- uh, is you know, enroll in a, in a church life course. You know, the Word of God says, The Word of God says, repent, believe, be baptized, and enroll in a church life course. The Word of God says, repent, believe, be baptized, and receive. And this is what we see being lived out in the book of Acts. So in Ephesians chapter 19, Paul comes. It says, Paul took the road through the interior, arrived at Ephesus, and then he found some disciples and asked. You know, this is interesting, isn't it? Because it's not the second question he asks. It's the very first question Paul asked. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, in other words, did you have that life-changing experience of the Spirit of God when you put your trust in Jesus? Because he sees that there can be that gap between coming to faith and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul is an example. He did not receive the Spirit of God on the day when he became a Christian. Look at the story. There is a gap. It can happen simultaneously, but it doesn't necessarily. And so as we look at this, what we find is, he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit? The answer, no. Now there we are, easy. Paul got a very easy answer there. No, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul is totally confused now. He said, well, what on earth has happened to you then? That's the paraphrase. You know, what has happened to you? What baptism did you receive? Because Paul does not understand this. Because in the understanding of Paul, you repent, you believe, you're baptized, and then you are filled, you have this experience of the Spirit which empowers you in a whole new way. This is Paul's expectation. He's not saying, did you understand the theology? He's saying, did you experience something that transformed you from the inside out? And they said, John's baptism. And this is a point of clarity for Paul. Suddenly he realizes that these people were not Christians at all. So when they're described as disciples, they're not disciples of Jesus, they're disciples of John. But they're being obedient to the revelation they have heard. So when Paul comes and it says on here, uh, he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And at that point, I believe it's like just the penny dropped have you ever had those theological moments when perhaps you've, you've really wrestled with something and at a particular point it's almost everything just falls into place and suddenly you see something clearly in a way you've not done before. Well, these, these people, they were followers of John's. They were, God's, uh, they were God-fearers. There were people whose hearts were open to receiving further revelation. So when Paul comes along and says, well, you, John's pointing to Jesus, you've got to believe in there. Oh, right, that's fine then. We believe in Jesus, 
And then they baptize into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And I think this is great. There's about 12 of them. Isn't that great? Just as, oh, there's about 12 of them. Why has he done that? Why has he included that? Because there's this witness of authenticity to say, there's a small group. They gathered together and God did something absolutely miraculous among them. And why we need to read this is because it shows this journey of faith from unbelief to being filled with the Spirit. There is a journey for every one of us to undertake as we look at this scripture. So we might have begun with as a God-fearer. But you get to the point where you come to know Jesus for yourself. And then having come to know Jesus for yourself, you need to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then you need to be prayed for to receive the power of the Spirit. Now there is one occasion in Scripture where it's the opposite way around, where they are filled with the Spirit, and someone says, well, you know, if they've been filled with the Spirit, how can we deny them baptism in water? But the reality is these two baptisms are closely connected. In the early church, you didn't have one without the other. I am convinced that as we read through the Scriptures, what we are reading is, we are reading of a Spirit-filled community where baptism in the Spirit was a given. It wasn't something they argued over. And so when Paul is writing to the Corinthians about spiritual gifts, he doesn't lay the ground rules. He doesn't lay the groundwork teaching of, well, you know, this is what happened. They knew what had happened to them. Paul's writing to the Corinthians is to bring some order to the chaos that was Corinth because they weren't quite sure what to do with what God had done among them. You know, all to be in the day when we have that godly chaos and as elders, what we've got to do is go around putting out fires. No, that is not our experience. Our experience is more trying to blow the fire that exists. Dare I say that. Dare I say that? I believe we've moved from what God's revelation to us was 38 years ago. And it's not in order that we might live in the past. We were challenged about not seeking, last week we were challenged about not seeking to live in the past. And I wouldn't want to live in the past because among all that what good was happening, there were some also some unhelpful things. And I believe we're in a much better place in many ways. But I think we've lost that cutting edge of experiencing, expecting that breakthrough of the Spirit of God in the life of an individual that causes them to be empowered in a, in a new way. You know, speaking in tongues. Has that become a forgotten gift, even though Paul said, I wish you all would do it. Has that become a forgotten gift? And is it forgotten because we don't have that experience that Paul speaks of? says he laid hands on them, the Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. You know, Paul knew the Spirit had fallen on them. He knew the Spirit had fallen on them. He wasn't trying to be convinced. He could see the evidence. And as we, again, read through those early chapters of Acts, and you see there is evidence to... Uh, to support the fact that there was an outward manifestation of something that had happened. So go back, I think it's Acts uh, 8 or 9, and, and Simon, he's watching the apostles pray for people, and he says, oh, I want to buy this gift. Why would he want to buy the gift if you couldn't see anything? He wants to buy the gift because he sees something there. He says, 
I'd love to be able to do that. With completely the wrong attitude and a complete misunderstanding. But the point is, there was a manifestation or manifestations of the coming of the Spirit. And either that is there as a nice piece of history or it is there as a present day challenge for us to enter into as a church. There is... uh, I'm a a great fan of Bernard Cornwell and his uh, books. And there is a character introduced. He he, he writes about the uh, 10th century where the Saxons, the Danes, and everybody else were just fighting each other, basically. And he introduces this character. And this character is called the Mad Bishop. Right? And it's it's (laughs) And it's interesting with this mad bishop because he wasn't a bishop. They weren't quite sure if he was mad or not. And they weren't even sure if he was a Christian. But he was looking at what was going on and he has this wonderful way of blessing people. So the mad bishop appears on the stage and he declares this blessing over the people of God. He said, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the other one. And when I read that, I thought, that is exactly how many churches approach the work of the Spirit. We're okay with the Father, we're okay with the Son, but we're not so happy with the Spirit. Because the Spirit can disrupt our meetings. The Spirit will come when invited and will bring disruption. Now, when I say disruption, what I mean is, it's not God's lost control. But he will disrupt our plans. And we all know that our plans should not be disrupted. And it is so easy. You know, it's a very dangerous prayer when we pray for God to come and disrupt our plans. Because what happens is, you pray, God, I want you to come, I invite you to come and disrupt and have your way. And then I'm thinking about the ways he ought to do it. So God, I want you to come and disrupt it, but I'd like you to do it in this way, a light way. And you know, the reality is God's plans are different to ours. And when he brings that godly disruption, it is a thing of heaven. And the reality is many of us will not like what God does. Because it disrupts our preconceived ideas. It challenges our preconceived ideas. Which is exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. Many of those who gathered and pointed the finger at them on the day of Pentecost knew fine well the promise of Joel. The Jews gathered together. They knew their scriptures. And so they would know this promise of God. And in their heads, they're probably saying, well, I'm looking for the promise and the fulfillment of the promise of God, but not that way. We can so easily fall into that trap. And you know, one of the great sadnesses is, right around the country. Churches that began with a vibrant life in the Spirit are closing the doors to the invitation to the Spirit because it causes, He causes, some disruption. And what they're settling for is an orderly gathering. What they're settling for is a programmed gathering. What they're settling for is actually second best to what God had for them. Don't let's settle for second best. Let's be those who leave our gathering and say, I have no idea what happened. But I met with God. I was at a, at a meeting not so long ago. And uh, I said to someone, 
Well, how did such and such a meeting go? This wasn't, this wasn't in Durham, by the way. You're, you're off the hook here. So how did such and such a meeting go? They said, it was weird. I thought, well, I was preaching. I thought, well, thank you very much. And that was the first thing they said. They said, it was weird. But we know the Spirit came. Do you know, let's settle for a weirdness like that. I mean, I know you're weird anyway. But let's settle for that godly weirdness. Let's settle for gatherings where we are only content if we know that God has moved in power. Because the world needs to see that expression of the church. The world needs it. And we might get all excited about all sorts of things. But at the end of the day, when we look at the scriptures, we see that the work of the Spirit is central to the life of the church. And it is through that work of the Spirit that the known world was won to Jesus. It wasn't by hard work. If you've been involved in any sort of uh, outreach or whatever, you can work your socks off. It's not by hard work. And I'm not saying there isn't a work to do. But what I'm saying is a work without the power of the Spirit behind, within, will produce little fruit. We need to come back to Scripture. John pointed to Jesus and said, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So we come full circle. Mark, can I have the musicians back, please? You know, Mark, you point when he was with us, I think not this year, but the year before, prophesied a day when there was a, a new day of Pentecost coming. He prophesied that there would be a season of a new outpouring of the Spirit of God. Because that is the choice of God. We need to choose to be part of that. We need to choose to cooperate with what God has in mind, to lay hold of every promise of God and say, God, come and fill me. Come and baptize me. Not just the once, but again and again by the power of your Spirit in order that I might be more like Jesus in the world in which I live. Jesus on his baptism, the Spirit came upon him, empowered him for ministry. We need that same empowering. Let's stand together.